Hey St. D's. Um, this is weird, isn't it? Um, great to be with you though. Uh, my name's Matt. Um, if you don't know me, I've been at St. D's for a couple of years um, and I'm here to preach uh, today on the Trinity, on what is Trinity Sunday. Um, so we're going to dive straight in. Um, we're going to be looking at John 15 today um, and we're going to be really trying to understand why is it important for God to be Trinitarian and what does that mean for us? Um, the Christian God is unique in that claim and in that status. Um, and so we're going to really be unpicking what that means theologically and what it means for our lives. Uh, and we're going to be doing that starting in um, in John 15, looking at the vine and the branches. Um, so I'm going to take us through the passage um, and we'll go from there. So John 15, starting at verse one. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I have learnt from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. Servants are not greater than their master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Those who hate me hate my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfil what is written in the law. They hated me without reason. 
When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Let's ask um, God's Spirit to join us as we tuck into this. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you come right now um, into the rooms and the places where um, St. Deeds are gathered right now. Um, that your Holy Spirit would meet with them in power. Father, that we would learn more about your character and more about the work of your Son. And that you'd reveal something of the, min of the mystery of the Trinity to us um, as we listen to this, Lord. Speak to us. I just pray in the name of Jesus that any barriers that can come up because of our um, geographical kind of distance right now would be broken. I pray that, you know, there wouldn't be um, kind of like technical hitches or communication failure on my part, Lord, um, that anything that's not good will fall away and that your true word will remain. Amen. So the Trinity I suppose um, I was kind of delighted and afraid when Tim asked me to speak on this because the Trinity, I guess, is probably the greatest like mystery and perhaps trickiest doctrine in the Christian faith. Um, so it felt like a little bit of a, um, a hospital pass in some ways, but um, also a real opportunity. I guess um, as we look at why is it essential um, for God to be Trinity, what I really want to focus on this morning is um or this evening in fact for for you guys is actually um both the threeness and the oneness of god and so before we come back to this passage i'm just going to talk a little bit about um the doctrine as it's like generally understood in orthodox christianity and that will give us a little bit of a lens for understanding what we then see in in scripture where that doctrine perhaps isn't as unpacked as we now kind of often take it to be and so we need to dig a little bit deeper um, to really understand how it's coming through. And the key thing really with the Trinity is that there is there are three persons, but there is one Godhead. The three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. But there is one God. That there are three persons, but but one essence. And so there is distinction and unity between those persons. So for the Father, he is the origin of all things including the son and the spirit he is where all things find their beginning the son is begotten of the father that means he's in a permanent state of sonship to the father and he has a specific role in space and time in coming into our world to meet us to save us to die for us to rise from death to to conquer death on our behalf and that the spirit distinctly is emitted out of the father is the language that theologians use. So that means he's constantly coming out of the father. And he does so in our space and time. Um, he's given to the church and um, we encounter him through that. So the spirit is encountered in the life of the church and the son is encountered on the pages of history. And the father sits enthroned above it all. But they have one essence. That means that all of the persons of the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, are eternal. They have unchanging relationships to one another. They mutually, constantly love one another. And they are codependent without depending upon anything else. 
That's really, really important. What that basically means is that God in and of himself is reliant and self-sufficient. He did not create the universe and the world in order to sustain his own being. In that sense, he doesn't need us in the way that we need him. So to try and give that a little bit more of a picture, um, Augustine speaks about um, the relationship of the Trinity in terms of uh, our mind and our knowledge and our love and how those interrelate but also hold together. Or C.S. Lewis thinks of it in terms of dimensions and this kind of taps into why it's kind of hard for us to sometimes grasp the Trinity. And what he says is that we're essentially living in one dimension and so we can deal with a, a straight line. We actually struggle with two lines, kind of operating in two dimension. But where we really struggle is to deal with like a cube, for example, that has six faces, but is one cube. And so he's, what he's saying is that one day you know, it will be clearer to us what it's like to live in three dimension with Father, Son and Holy Spirit, with a Trinitarian God. So what I'm not hiding from here is that the Trinity is confusing and complex. And so what I want to say at the start here is that with that um, comes kind of a, tr a trap and an opportunity. The trap is that the complexity of the Trinity means that we don't fully engage with it and we fail to see God in his full eternal beauty. The risk is that we get worried about falling into heresies, because if we don't have the Trinity fully formulated in our theology, it's easy in one direction or another to fall down. To give you an example of this, in the early church, it was seen to be sort of four key heresies that you could fall into if you didn't recognise either the oneness or the threeness of God. So if you believed that there was one God, but that he was just expressed in three different ways, like three different flavours in the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That was seen as falling into what's called modalism, where you have the unity of the Trinity, but you don't have the distinction of persons. The opposite of that is tritheism, where you just think that there are three gods, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And in that you have distinction, but you don't have unity. And then on the other axis, you can fall into subordinationism, where the Father is above the Son and the Spirit. And what you have with that is order, but not equality. And across the park from there, what's called panentheism, where God only becomes God via the incarnation. That it's only through the person of Jesus that God becomes known. And what you have there is equality, but no order. Whereas true Trinitarian theology seeks to put the equality and the order and the unity and the distinction of the three persons, the one essence, in one place at one time and hold them in tension. So that's what we're going to try and do. What I just want to encourage you with is to not be overawed by that. What we're actually going to find is that there's some really simple key truths that we can find in scripture um, about the Trinity. And so what I'm going to do for that is to focus on what we can learn from the threeness of God and what we can learn from the oneness of God. So firstly, from the threeness of God, what we can learn is fundamentally how to be a child. 
Our relationships don't define God's relationality. And what I mean by that is that because before time, the Trinity was in existence, in relationship, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. There's actually like there's a pre-existing model for us to look at and understand what God is like and how, how to relate. And what we can see in the person of Jesus is how to be a child. And I don't know about you, but our ideas of um, relationship can often be broken, perhaps because we've had a really bad experience um, of parenthood in our lives. Um, as a low level example, we recently got a kind of harness to hang off the door for Jesse, um, our, our six month old. And um, you kind of have to like, it's kind of impossible to get him into it. You kind of have to get him into this kind of saddle and then strap up both sides. And I nailed one side and was kind of prematurely celebrating. And then he started to fall out onto the sort of hard floor, um, the other side. And I kind of impulsively grabbed his shirt and he was kind of not heavy enough to break the shirt and hit his head on the floor. And so that's like a low level example where already for me, the perils of um, basically not wanting to be the first one in our marriage to make the first sort of big mistake that hurts Jesse um, is something that uh, I'm really paranoid about. But what we have, um, you can also think about maybe the story of the prodigal son, where the relationship of God to us is like really, really clearly defined. And um, we can learn from that how to be a child of God. So if we take this um, to the passage, look at verse 10. Leading up to it, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So what Jesus is saying here is that he has kept the Father's commands and through that remains in his love. And so he asks us to mirror that, to keep Jesus's commands and to remain in his love. We're also taught this by Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, right, where he says his disciples literally say, how should we pray? It's kind of like they're saying, how should we be a child of God? And Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And so deeply rooted at the start of the Lord's Prayer, as well as in this passage in John 15, is the idea of obedience as a child. So the first point on the threeness of God is how should we be a child? We should be obedient. Philippians 2, 8 says that Jesus being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. Humility and obedience to the will and the plan of God the Father. But it's not just how to be a child, it's specifically also how to love. How can we love? If you look in verse 13 here, it, Jesus says that greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for uh, one's friends. So what Jesus is teaching us here is that the way we should love is inherently in a sacrificial manner. This is not in the way that the world teaches us. We're not taught to love in an entirely sacrificial way. There's normally a limit and it's normally based on the value of the person 
perhaps on their like very much on their worldly value, perhaps their attributes or their skills or what they contribute towards society. But Jesus is just saying that there's no greater love than being willing to just lay down your life. The son in the Trinity models sacrifice to us as well as obedience to the will of the Father. That's why we read in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The Father's love for the world compelled him to send his son to save us. And they acted in unity on that plan to save us all. And that is the work of the Trinity really clearly on display. And it means that God the Father genuinely understands sacrifice. He understands loss that we experience in our lives more deeply than we can. Every emotion we have that is kind of from God and holy is like derived from God. He knows it all before it all began. Um, a lot of the ancient sort of classical theologians uh, like Aquinas and Augustine would argue that you can't kind of say that God uh that God is loving, you need to actually say that like lovingness comes from God, like God is the root of all that is good. And sometimes we we put it back in human terms, the, the phrases, we anthropomorphize it, we try and humanise emotion and language rather than actually recognising that those things find their root in the Trinity. So we learn how to love from the threeness of God. And thirdly, we learn how to testify to God's glory. That means to bear witness to who he is. I think for all of us, as we kind of try and evangelise, um, for those of us that are um, already committed Christians, the temptation is to give people what they want to hear. I've often found this, that um, whilst deep in my heart, I have a really strong conviction that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, and, and, and that there's no other way to the Father except through him. I know that my friends often kind of, it can be tempting when I'm speaking to my friends to give them a slightly watered down version of the gospel. It can be tempting to kind of agree with as much stuff as possible on their side of the bridge um, in the hope that through people pleasing, I can bring them to God. And of course, there's a place for finding common ground and seeking unity. But only if we're willing to ultimately say, but here's where it's different. And so how we testify to God's glory is ultimately through being truthful, even when it's really, really uncomfortable. And so later on in the passage, verse 26, Jesus speaks about when the Holy Spirit comes. And he says that the spirit who goes out from the father testifies. And specifically, he calls that spirit a spirit of truth. And so I want to encourage you all when you're thinking of how can I honour God with my life? How can I how can I serve him to learn from the example of the Holy Spirit as he comes out of the Father and as Jesus speaks him into the world? That he testifies to the truth and the ultimate truth, of course, is that Jesus is Lord. And so let's not be diluting that in the way that we interact, in the way that we face the world. The Spirit operates as evangelistic dynamite within us and we can either treat we can either choose to kind of take hold of that um or be kind of left weak and trying to operate in our own strength 
So those are three ways in which the threeness of God, um, of the Trinity, is apparent in this. Um, that we're taught how to um, be a child, we're taught how to love, and we're taught how to testify to God's glory. And now I want to speak a little bit about the oneness of God. Firstly, by saying that God has one master plan, not three. Just because there are three persons of the Trinity, it does not mean that there are three forces pulling in opposing directions. They are in total unity. They're doing a dance together. We are called to join that mission. We're called to join that singular master plan of God. And I don't know about you, but I've kind of got at least three master plans for my life. I've got various kind of parallel universes, some of which have now been kind of rendered completely unrealistic. Um, you know, now that I'm 27, it, it seems increasingly unlikely that I'll, you know, get 100 caps um, as an England test cricketer. Even 50 is, is looking a stretch before even my ability is taken into account. Then I've got the sort of plan where I go down the you know, business and I commit my life to business and be as successful in that as I can be. And then I've got the plan where um, I don't do that and, and I become a radical missionary. And the whole, the whole point here really is that we construct our own master plans. But in the Trinity, there is one plan overriding humanity. God knew before the world began exactly that we would get to this point, that we would fall and be in desperate need of a saviour, and that he would need to send his son. Think about that for a moment, that when God created the world, he knew that by creating it, he would need to give his son to die, to be separated from the father, to then make it right again. That's how much he wanted to create. That's how much he wanted to be in relationship with us, as well as with himself in the Trinity. And think about it in terms of the character of Jesus, that despite his human frailty in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying before he's taken away, he says, you know, yet not my will, but yours be done. You know, he, he would love the cup to be taken from him because his flesh is afraid. But he says, but yet not my will, but done, be yours, but yours. That goes back to the point of obedience. But I think the real point to get from this element is the kind of clear unity of um, of the Trinity in having a singular purpose, a master plan that we're invited to be part of. And notice then in verse 22, how Jesus says, if he had not come and spoken, then the world would not be guilty of their sin. But now that they have, they have no excuse for their sin. It's, it's really clear, I think, here that the plan of God coming through Jesus Christ puts on humankind a duty to respond. We've all got a duty to respond. And if you have responded, your duty is to serve and to take joy in that. And if you haven't responded, then clearly the question to you this morning in the midst of this mystery of the Trinity, which, as I've said, it is confusing and, and challenging and something to wrestle with, is actually like, do you want to be part of that plan? Do you want to be... Um, do you want to be known and do you want to accept like guilt for your sin? Do you want to recognise that you've got stuff wrong? Because Jesus has now spoken to you. You're hearing the message right now and you're invited to respond. And he would love you to come running into his arms. And then we see in verse 26 as well 
how um, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Think about how in that passage, all three persons of the Trinity are working for that one master plan. The advocate or the Holy Spirit is coming, who Jesus sends from the Father. There's one plan. We're invited to be a part of it. And the Trinity is completely united in it. And secondly, on the oneness of God, God is totally with us. He's not partially with us. He's with us as a single as a single being. In verse uh, 15, Jesus specifically says this. He says, I no longer call you servants because servants don't know their master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I've learned from my father. I have made known to you. Like we're not we're not servants anymore because we know the plan, the plan that I was just speaking about. And as a result of that, we're called friends. Which if you think about our brokenness, if you think about our mess, and if you think about how all of that demanded that the father would send his son to die to save us, is amazing that we're called friends. That whatever your mess is right now, Jesus just wants to call you a friend. He wants you to put you back in right relationship with the father by accepting um, his sacrifice once and for all on the cross for you. And another way where this is really seen is um, in the end of 2 Corinthians, um, chapter 13, verse 14, where Paul prays at the end that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So the grace of Jesus is with you. The love of God the Father is with you. And the fellowship walking with you day by day of the Holy Spirit is with you. And this is kind of the point I was um, alluding to earlier, that in the Trinity, if, if we took one of those pieces away, we would lose the kind of overarching creator, the overarching, like loving almighty God sitting above this all. If we lost, if we removed the father and if we removed the son, we would remove the person who has stepped into the pages of humanity. The person who understands what it is to be a child, who understands what it is to walk our walk. And if we remove the spirit, then right now we would be um, we wouldn't have the strength within us, the kind of hope within us that we have in the Holy Spirit to walk when it's difficult and to keep going. So God is totally with us in his oneness. And lastly, the oneness of God teaches us that if we aren't fully, fully for God as Trinity, then we're actually against it. There's not like a middle ground where you can pick and choose. Jesus says in verse 23, those who hate me hate my father as well. That because there is complete unity in the Trinity, we cannot just be... Um, like, I guess, red letter Christians who just say, well, I really love um, the stuff that Jesus did in, in these verses in particular. I love how he did that. But I, but I don't like the idea of the Holy Spirit wanting to dwell in me um, and, and, and shape my heart and my um, desires as I grow. Or like, I'm OK with those two things, but I'm, but I'm definitely not OK with the idea of this um, like overarching almighty God sitting above creation seeing all the kind of evil that goes on in the world and right now not stopping all of it 
Like, there is a temptation. There is a, a kind of a desire within us to weaken down um, this trinity and to try and just take a bit of it that we like or to perhaps not recognise complete unity between those those persons of the trinity. But what Jesus is clearly saying is that, you know, you're with me, you're with the Father. The, fa the Spirit is sent because I call it and it comes from the Father. There's just total unity of operation. And so if we're not fully for it, um, then we're against it. In Matthew 12, when Jesus heals um, demon-possessed man, uh, he says that it is by the Spirit of God that he does the healing. And he does it to establish the kingdom of God. In other words, the spirit is the kind of power in the world operating in that space to heal at that moment. And Jesus is the one seeing the demon possessed individual and, and calling that healing upon them. And the, all of that is to glorify the father, to establish his kingdom. Remember, when Jesus says the kingdom of God, it, it is the kingdom of, of God, the father specifically that the, he's on the throne and Jesus is on the right hand. So we can see this, this kind of, if you're not for me, you're against me. The reality is that um, if we want to serve God, we, we need to serve God as, um, as a creator. We need to serve the creation that he's put in the world. Um, we need to serve the Son, we need to walk like Jesus walked and we need to serve the Holy Spirit by allowing our hearts to be transformed day by day. I'm, I've deliberately not gone too much into the analogy of the vine and the branches because I think that was just like one thing too many for this talk. Um, but, um, you know, my beloved wife um, did a pause upon a prayer on this that um, hopefully you'll have seen by now, but if not, um, do check it out, um, which uh, goes a little bit more into um, the metaphor here. But what we are told is that we will be pruned uh, if we don't remain in him. Jesus says, if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withered. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. And so to remain in him re means to remain in the Trinity, in the united Trinity, in all of it, not picking and choosing. And so that's where I'm going to wrap up. And hopefully you can be encouraged by, um, firstly, the truth biblically that the Trinity is there to be seen. That God is three persons, but but one essence. And that within that, you can see things that we can learn for our hearts and our lives and apply in our journey with, with Jesus and with God um, around how we can be a child of God. We're taught how to be a child of God through um, the way that Jesus relates to a father, that we're taught how to love, that we're taught how to testify to the glory of God and that we know that God is fully with us and that if we aren't fully for God, um, then we're against him. So I hope that's an encouragement to you. Um, I'd love now for us to pray um, specifically um, stepping into uh, that childlike posture that Jesus does as the son um, of obedience to the father because I think that underpins all of this that underpins that master plan that singular master plan that we're invited to be a part of it underpins how we love it underpins how we um, 
testify to the glory of God in our lives. So let's let's pray into that right now. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, I pray that um, we would step into this opportunity to really gaze on your beauty in its fullness, not to water it down. Not to settle for, for less. Not to find that the complexity drives us to um, unbelief. Um, or almost like irritability with your word, Lord, but that actually we realise that that's part of the beauty of learning you more deeply. There's so much to learn. And on this earth right now, we'll never fully grasp the mystery. But kind of getting pictures and seeing through a glass dimly is such an honour and a joy. And Father, right now, I pray that we would learn how to be a child I pray that um, I want to specifically pray for anyone listening to this talk right now who um, isn't a child of God, but recognises that there's something unique in the Christian Trinitarian God that is so much greater than anything else out there and is true and holds the key to life and that they want to be part of that master plan. And so if that's you, I just want you to kind of... Um, echo these words as I pray them, whether it's the first time you prayed this or, or you've prayed it before. Lord God, I know that I've got stuff wrong. I know that I've lived a life that separated me from you. And I know that that creates a gap that I can't close in my own strength. Even though I want to be able to, I can't fix it. I need a heavenly father and I want to be your child I want to walk where you walk I want to have your spirit within me as I go and I want that to change my life and I give my life to you like Jesus gave his life for us Amen Great, thanks a lot Cindy's. hope you have a great weekend